Matthew 26, 26 through 29. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, and broke it, gave it to the disciples, and said, Take the, take and eat it. This is my body. Then he looked, then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said to them, and said, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out from many of the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I will drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Amen. You may be seated. Um, I, uh, wasn't planning on starting uh, to speak on the Lord's Supper, but when I heard that you guys have not had the Lord's Supper for a while, it was too hard on my heart. Um, before I start, I want to thank all of you who have made our transition so smooth, and you've been such great help to us, so I don't want to give names, but may the Lord bless you accordingly. We don't want to give names or bring praise to people, so you'll be robbed of your heavenly, um, you know, uh, um, resources or wealth that you are accumulating at this time. Um, because of the nature of this service and this message that I have today, um, I will have to give a couple of different introductions. And as we go on with the slides, um, uh, keep going with the slides. Oh, keep going, keep going. Yes, go back one more. If you can see uh, here, um, this study that we're looking at is a spiritual discipline. Uh, as you look at a human being, God has made us both material and spiritual. Now, you and I can do nothing about being born again or born from above or born of the Spirit of God. You and I cannot force the baptism of the Holy Spirit upon ourselves. You and I can participate in being constantly filled with the Holy Spirit in our life through spiritual disciplines, through prayer, through praise, Meditating on God's word. There are many things that can fill us with the spirit of God. Well, if you say, well, you know, we participate in that, but we have really no say in being born again or being baptized uh, uh, with the Holy Spirit. Uh, what is our, what is our responsibility as spiritual people? And I'm glad you asked that question. Because there's a responsibility for us to be built by the Holy Spirit, to be formed by the Spirit that God has given to us. And that's how we grow in the likeness of Christ. And one of those disciplines is celebrating the Lord's table. Now, when I look at the work of the Holy Spirit, when I survey the Holy Spirit in scriptures and also how I have experienced it in my own life, um, many times the scripture uses what elements within scriptures to look at the Holy Spirit? Water and fire, right? You know, a fountain of life, streams of living water for him who believes Rivers or streams of living water shall flow out of his belly. Right? This is what the Lord is telling us. But when you look at the work of the Holy Spirit, the most important things that I found in scriptures is to differentiate between two small worlds, two articles. The work of the Holy Spirit is in and within a person. And then there's the work of the Holy Spirit that is a pawn on a person. 
one that is inside of us and one that is upon us. And I was thinking since the scriptures gives us water, the world is represented by the sea in scriptures and the sin of the world is represented by that image. Could I find something similar? How many of you have heard of the idea of a watershed point? At the highest places where the ice melts and springs come, it, there's this big lake that forms and it begins to run down. Now, in the middle of that lake, in the middle of that lake, it's a watershed point because the waters will either have to go to the left or to the right. And believe it or not, there's something uh, within nature that kind of gives us an image of the work of the Holy Spirit. In Colorado, I forget the name, but there's a beautiful watershed point. And if you look eastward, as the water flows from this glacier water and springs, it's a beautiful green valley. It spreads like fingers around and it's full of life that is visible. And that is what happens with the Holy Spirit as he comes within you. It begins to move into the members of your soul and it begins to say, hey, watch out what you say. Watch out what you think. Be careful what you look at, you know, what you listen to. Take care of your feet where they go. And as it stays there, it begins to produce fruit and it's like a lush green valley. Just like you see when, from Colorado. It doesn't go very far, but wherever it goes, there's life and fruit and abundance. And that is what happens. Within us, there's this work that brings fruit and it's being used for the kingdom and for other people in our life. On the opposite end, you look westward, Southwest, and you have the Colorado River. And it's just one big river. And it doesn't spread out. And because it doesn't spread out, the things around it look pretty deserty. But it, it continues to go. And it, did, it dug deeper and deeper. And you have the Grand Canyon. You have the depth of God's spirit working within the character of a human being. The inner work. And it is there that we partner. And we are formed by the spirit of God through those disciplines. The discipline that we're going to look at today to be built or be formed by the Holy Spirit in our journey and relationship with the Lord is celebrating the Lord's table. I almost went into mourning when I heard you guys haven't had communion in so long. So I want to start with, unfortunately, not such a great place. God is holy. God is good. And whatever he gives us, it is perfect. But we have a knack of messing those things up. I don't know if you've realized that about yourself or humans. And this is no different story. We have churches out there. They no longer take communion. Oh, that's a spiritual right. We're, you know, we don't do that. It's optional and we're not going to bother. You're just there in a corner. Well, I'm sure when the guy said, read, Jesus spoke to us in the imperative, um, like that, in the imperative tense saying, this is a command. You ought to do this. So them thinking they're so spiritual. Do you know any of the churches like that? 
There's plenty around. There's one that's coming out of the Quakers called the Friends Church. You don't need to celebrate the Lord's table. You don't need to be baptized. Those are just, you know, religious rites. On the flip side, any of you were raised in the Catholic, with a Catholic background? Any of you raised Orthodox background? Some. Well, they say, well, the elements miraculously change to the actual body of Jesus Christ and his blood. So, well, is that a good thing? No. Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood. But we have a knack of intervening. So we put out a, a, a big word, it's called transubstantiation. See how smart we are? <laughs> we come out with big words. Transubstantiation. And we say, yes, that's what happens. It's a miraculous transformation. And this is, this is what you're partaking. It's his literal blood and, and his little body. Now, what's the problem with that? Now, let's not even go there, because whether it's literal or not is true, is, hey... No, but I have nothing to do. Because what happens when I touch Jesus? Miracles happen. Miracles happen. So if I just, this is such a great big thing. I don't need faith. I don't need a relationship. I can't just approach it because of the gravity of this miraculous transformation. So no wonder it becomes a right. No wonder it disconnects people from God. The best thing they'll do, they say, oh, I, I just got to go get mass. And when you hear them speak like that, it's because we said transubstantiation. Now, a guy named Luther came around, and there was a guy named Erasmus who came around, and they said, yes, but, you know, the presence of the body of Christ is underneath and around and on top, and, you know, that's a form of consubstantiation. So, you know, uh, um, you can, uh, you know, there's some people who just like to be sophisticated. It, it just happens that way. And then another guy came around that has influenced the Baptist church. His name was Zwingli. And Zwingli entered into the church and for the first 1,000 Years in the church for the first millennium, guess what was in the middle and at the center of every church? A meeting place. The Lord's table. He took it away and he put the pulpit there. Now, within that context, he wanted to emphasize bringing the word of God into the church was great. But was he right in removing that design? So then he said, this is just a symbol. That's it. It is simply a symbol. So for the Anabaptist movement at that time, this Ulrich, you know, Zwingli from Switzerland has affected all of you today. Now, what all of you don't know is that, I don't know, was it 29 years? I don't know how many years later. He realized he was wrong. Now, the, the Anabaptist churches didn't change. 
So he went and he met with Luther because he was influenced by Luther and Erasmus and John Haas. And he went back and says, yeah, you know, Luther said, yes, I believe in this presence. Consubstantiation and the way the Lutherans believe is think of it as a sponge that holds water rather than the, the elements transforming themselves. This is that belief. And uh, he said, well, I believe that there is presence. So Zwingli said to Luther, you know, yeah, I guess I was wrong. I believe that there's presence, but it's due to love. But he was right. The love has a great part with it. But I think also, again, it's almost an element of pride from humans because Luther emphasized the aspect of faith as you approached. Now, they're both present. The reason why I agree a little more with Luther rather than Zwingli is because you can't define love unless you have a foundation of truth and faith. And they all got to work hand in hand together. Then came another sophisticated guy. His name is Calvin. And now a lot of the Reformed churches view that way where, do you know what they believe? They believe that actually you are picked up. When you partake of communion, you're picked up and you go, and it's almost like a lifting up of a presence of the body of Christ. Now let me ask you, wasn't it a lot more simpler when men didn't have to put in their two cents? We're laughing, but the body of Christ is fighting, dividing. They've been throwing punches at each other and even killing each other over those differences. One of the favorite ways to, to, to kill the Baptists were, oh, you're a Baptist? Let me dunk you onto the water. Let me baptize you to death. So the Catholics would just hold him under the water till they died. That is not a funny thing. It is a sad thing. But going back to the first thousand years, people couldn't get to assemble for a reason to not forsake the assembly of the believers. Why? Because you're, they were there to commune with God. We as a church, looking at what we've done and those details, it has swayed us away from the very core of why we commune together. Without the broken body of Christ, we don't have a church. We don't have a community. So guess what's happened? We try to say we're a church, but in reality, we're fakers. Because we're a social club, they have the same values, they gather together. And if someone doesn't think like us, goodbye. Or we kick them out, or we get arguments, and we run ideas. And we've created this environment where the enemy has had his way with us. People walked in the church differently because they're in the wilderness, they're in the desert, and I need to get back. I need to get back to the center of my life, to the people whom I love and I'll be eternally with, and to the reason why we're there and we're sharing things together. Yeah, let's move the slides. I'm sorry. Uh, I think we're going to keep, keep going with the slides. Uh, we don't have time to speak about those right now. Go ahead. Thank you. Keep going. Keep going. Today, uh, one back one, please. 
Today, I don't know how much time we have, but we'll try to, as quickly as possible, go through this. Before you approach the table of the Lord, here are some major points that you and I need to be prepared every Sunday we partake communion. And the Lord says, do this in remembrance of me. Now, you may take communion in your own home. That is not to replace the Lord's table here. And that is fine with you participating. There are churches that partake in the Lord's table every week. And on the flip side, there are churches that partake of the Lord's table only once a year, and usually on Good Friday. Now, what I have done, and don't necessarily ask me why, but usually uh, the first Sunday of every month and on important occasions, we will partake of the Lord's table. But regardless of the number of times that you do it, the gravity of this event needs to be there. The Catholics call it a sacrament. Why is it called a sacrament? To make sacred. It's because grace is extended to you through the elements. We rejected it, so we call it an ordinance. I don't like those words. I'm not a big guy with fancy words. Some people say, yeah, well, I'm going to be cool because I'm not religious, so I'll call it an observance. Wait a minute. If you're observing, that makes you the center of things. You've just defined yourself as not being spiritual. You're not the most important entity when you approach the Lord's table. There's a reason why the Lord's table was at the center of every meeting. But it is a celebration of victory. It is a proclamation of redemption. It is a declaration of dependence. It is a, a time for examination of ourselves. And it is a provision of healing. Now there's subcategories and other things and we can spend half a year of how much it incorporates. Because as you grow in Christ and as your spirit formed, the bigger the work of the cross of Christ will get to you and what he, how important and big it is for you and I. But those are the elements and we will slowly uh, go through, I mean, rapidly go through them. But regardless of that, I just want to let you know that the Lord says that we are meant to remember Him. Why does He say that? Because you forget, how could you forget your Lord? Why would he say, remember? I won't say it yet. Because we will take the journey soon. Celebration of victory. Revelations 12-11 says, And they've conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their life even unto death. In whose victory do you stand today? Do you know why you come to the Lord's table? Yeah, I'm working out there. You know, I'm trying to make my ends meet. I'm trying, oh, I'm even better than that. I'm rich. I'm trying to expand my wealth. And, you know, I'm investing and investing. Guess what, brothers and sisters? This is better than Wall Street. 
Have you been investing yourself in the victory of Christ and the work of God on the cross? Have you been asking, hey, you know, I see, I see there's something special. You know, we ask each other, hey, give me any tips. You know, you, know, you made some money, give me any tips, uh, you know, so I can make some money. When's the last time people in church ask them, I, I see the, you know, when you approach the table, there's, the spirits are working you. Can you give me any tips? Do we have those types of conversations in our churches? The weight of the broken body and the shed blood of Christ. What rivers has it carved in you? What life has it given to you? So I celebrate. It's not for me to say, oh, it's the death of Christ. Because he says, you proclaim his death and announce his coming. It is proclaiming his death, his resurrection, and the fact that he's coming again. And it's a proclamation of victory. And you're making the reality that one day you will be with Jesus, drinking anew with him in heaven. So you're, this is prophetic for you who don't know the Lord. This is prophetic and you're proclaiming that and that is the reality of your life. So you know, the Lord has escapist you know, ideas for us here. Aren't you tired of dealing with the things of the world, with your failing body, with broken relationships? Do you think you need, do you think there's a weight on your life to approach the Lord's table? To shed off, to be liberated, to soften the shell of your heart? Because maybe you had an argument with your wife or with your spouse this week. Or maybe you gossiped about a brother or a sister. Or you had bad thoughts at work about a co-worker. The enemy's at work. But Jesus has an invitation. You say, well, pastor, then I need to take it every day. Be my guest. Be my guest. You're the, you're, you're the priest of your family. It's like Peter during this time of the Lord's Supper. He says, oh, Lord, you're going to wash my feet. Oh, what about my head and my hands? But Jesus said to him, what? You are clean. You are clean. You celebrate the victory the doctor may give you bad news. Your life is hidden with Christ on high. And you declare you partake it here. It's an invitation. It's a celebration. Regardless of what's going on. We will triumph over the power of darkness. The victory has already been won. You have been justified. You have been justified. But that's not enough. You will realize that the body of Christ as you partner with the Holy Spirit in you will use communion to begin to do what? The Lord's table? To also sanctify you in the process of sanctification. And it's by no mistake That God gave manna for the Jews on the journey to the promised land. It's by no mistake that Jesus said, unless you eat of my body and drink of my blood, you shall have no part of me. You shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Do you think it was just coincidence that those things happened? So while we celebrate this, we also proclaim our redemption. 
When we partake of the Lord's table, we proclaim to people that we have been redeemed by him. It is his death and my life in him that's justified me. What does justification mean? It has cut the power of sin in my life. You need to know this so you understand how to examine yourself. It has cut the power of sin in my life. What is sanctification? It's removing and distancing sin from yourself. Right? Conversion cuts the chains of sin. It doesn't mean that the residue is not there. The flesh is still around and you have a spirit. So that's why you need to be spirit formed. And that's why Jesus said, make sure you remember me when you do this. It's not a religious rite. It is life in itself. In this proclamation of repentance, then what do I do? I declare myself dependent. The Israelites couldn't survive without the manna. Scripture, I don't have time for this. Sorry. Scripture tells us that we're like vultures feeding on a corp. I want to give you a more nasty environment. Jesus says we're like a flesh-eating bacteria. Literally, that's what we are. We need that. That is the decadence of the sin that we're in. In order for us to have life, we are praying, we're scavenging the Lord's body. And do you know what the Lord says? Do this in remembrance of me. In this age, Jesus has chosen to take the stance of a broken Savior, of a slain lamb. That's why you have broken churches still holding together. Because there's a broken Savior behind it. And underneath it. And inside it. You don't have to put transubstantiation and consubstantiation and give me sponge images with water and trying to be all smart. Because I know there's a broken Savior. So I can step out of my own brokenness. So I can step out of myself. And that is the part of glorification. As we move towards deification and glorification, the final part of our salvation, this is where, this is the path, this is the gateway of how we get there. This is this is the main element. It has a much greater scope. That's why before the throne of God, as the book of life needed to be opened, guess who appeared? The slain lamb. We're not even touching what spiritual reality in the heavenlies this effect has. It is the brokenness of Christ that has lifted him up to pick up the book of life. Now let me ask you, do you want to have a part of that broken lamb? Do you want to be in that book of life when he opens it and he reads it? Can you do that without partaking in, this broken, in his brokenness? I, I can't fathom, I may be too stupid, I can't fathom people who say, oh, I'm very spiritual. This is, this is a spiritual right. We, we don't do communion. 
Say what? I, I, you're laughing. I feel like crying. I feel like uh, desperation. I, I feel the weight of, uh, about you. Months without taking the Lord's communion. Who cares about the sermon? I mean, now, for you, the word of the Lord is great. <laughs> but we need to get back to centering in Christ. He is the chief shepherd. He is the head of the church. There's one Lord. There's one body. One baptism. Yeah, I, I don't want to hear opinions about the government or COVID. When I come to church, I want to hear about the centrality and the unity of Christ in this church. Because you may be smarter, have different ideas, but I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not interested. But I tell you, I do want Jesus to read your name when he opens that scroll. Do you want your name to be heard in the heavenlies? Do you think if your name is pronounced there, it can ever leave that place? Think about that weight as you approach the Lord's table. Our declaration of dependence. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. You can pray, you can jump and dance here on your hands, not on your feet. You can work 60 hours at the church. Look what the Lord says. Truly, truly, not once, but twice, to reassure us. I said, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. You can't have a good marriage apart from this life that he puts in you. You can't serve the Lord well apart from this life that he puts in you. You can't be a good parent. You can't be a good spouse. You can't come to church and interact with God's presence. You can't hear his voice unless the life that he gives connects with him. Now, let's go to the next slide. It's a provision of healing. Clearly, the Lord is good enough to let us know that people were healed in, 11, in the first letter to the Corinthians in the 11th chapter, we realize, and as we read church history, people have experienced tremendous things through the Lord's table. So it's a provision for healing. It's a provision for wholeness. It's how you deal as you are oppressed by the members of your soul, by demonic influence, by the pollution of the world, and by selfish ambition. And that's why you need to examine all of those areas. Why? So you can truly have an exercise. That it's a spiritual exercise. So you can have this life-transforming experience as the Holy Spirit works through the ministry of Jesus Christ in your life. Because someone can come and say, okay, this is a little juice, a cracker. I had communion. You can go home. And you're like, man, that person got healed. That person, uh, you know, uh, came out of depression. I took the same thing. Provision of healing. Many, many levels. Let's, let's keep moving. This is for you and I, for the growing disciple. But I want to give you the heart of communion. 
And let's go back to the Garden of Eden where the Lord, before there was sin, put Adam and Eve in. And what happened? They enjoyed sweet fellowship eating in the presence of God daily, regularly. That is our reality environment. That is why Jesus is saying, remember me. That's why Jesus says, I will not drink it. That's why we know there's going to be a feast. That's why we know it will be even better than in the garden. But meanwhile, that is our reality. In the church, that is the reality of our situation. Now, let's, let's see if that's, you say, well, that was when there was no sin. But unfortunately, sin came in. Exodus 24, 9 through 11. Let's turn there and see what happens. This is right after uh, the father gave the law to the Israelites. And he said, Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. And under his feet there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire as clear as the sky itself. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel, and they beheld God, and they ate and drank. What did they do? They ate and drank. And then God goes even further. This is after giving them the law. That sweet fellowship with the Father. Then he says, Bring all of Israel, and as the mountain was quaking, to have fellowship with me, and smoke and fire, the people of God came and said, Oops, no, there's too much turmoil up there in the cloud. Go by yourself. You're laughing. There's fear, there's lack of faith, there's comfort discomfort that will stop you from entering. It's in our nature to distance. I want to ask you, all those forms and human additions, is there a distance? Transubstantiation, consubstantiation, lifting up, turning around, under, over. the first thousand years there was a healthy mystery in the church about approaching the Lord's table. You, you think this is it? No, 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 no. Deuteronomy 14, 23 and 26. Oh, we'll try to go there. My eyes are not that good. And you shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God. In the place where he chooses. Establish his name. The tithe of your grain, your new wine, your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. In order that you may uh, learn to fear the Lord your God always. Verse 26. And you may spend the money for whatever your heart desires for oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink or whatever your heart desires. And there you shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice and you and your household. I'm not saying go home and get drunk. That's not what, don't use this, that excuse. But it's a festival. That's where we will be. And it's beyond measure. And that is the heart of the Father. For us who have been in rebellion to know we can't get to that place of fellowship and communion and spiritual intercourse with Him unless we 
approach him through the cross of Christ. And for you who have the Spirit of God with you, you need to constantly be working at this aspect. Those who are here to help us in this church, also we will practice what it's called open communion. Open communion means you don't have to be a member and be baptized in our church. But it's not open to anyone. Uh, you should only take communion if you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and have him as the Lord and Savior of your life. If you have not been baptized, people will begin to bug you if you're partaking of communion because we want you to be in obedience following in that step as well. So, you know, the beautiful thing about communion, it says, the Lord says that it is a time for you to do what? Examine yourself. So here it says, let a person, let a person examine himself. And I'm glad because the Lord has not made me a policeman to say, well, you shouldn't have communion because your wife told me something this week and I think you shouldn't have communion. And I know about your situation. So praise the Lord that that is not the case. The burden of communion is individually for each person before the Lord. So the elders and the pastors do not intervene in that. But I will tell you, I will warn you, it is the one thing that can provide death. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. I don't have time for this to tell you how serious this implication is. And now I want you to say, well, our, those churches are legalistic. No, they understand this issue. That's why they've become closed communion. Be careful to put yourself at a stance against the grace of God and open the door for the evil one to have his way with you with your life don't look at your neighbor if someone who's baptized and does not take communion that is great because maybe they have a, a, a sin issue that they're dealing with and it's not dealt with maybe they know a brother has something against them or a sister and they need to deal with that maybe it's something at home or maybe they are intercessory in prayer and holding a certain uh, vow or promise before the Lord or something that they did and they need to finish that chapter before they approach the Lord's table. There are various reasons for which you should not approach the Lord's table. Now, women come to me and say, well, I'm in the bad time of my mouth. Uh, that's fine. You can approach the Lord's table with that issue. And you're laughing, but, you know, some, some people are serious about that. But there are certain issues. This this is something that it's worse than it, than it can just kill you. So people have taken that upon themselves, and that's why you have some churches that have taken it to this extreme. The way we will practice here is open communion. It is for you, if you like to have your kids come up and take it with you, that's fine. But we will take it together. And because we are one body, we will partake of the bread together. Those who serve today, come please up, come up right now. I will keep talking as um, they pass out and we'll pray for the elements as well. But the body of Christ is one. You may go ahead and, and, and please take it, but not partake yet because... We are one body, and therefore, when we will take the bread together or the body of Christ, we will take it at once as one body. Why? To show that there's no division. 
Now it is up to you if you want to allow your child, you know, and that means 12, 13 age or younger, to partake with you. After that age, there should be an accountability for you as a, uh, as a priest of your own home, uh, whether that person has surrendered their life to the Lord to partake. Up until the age of accountability, your faith covers the child. So this is something that you also need to keep in mind for when you do it at home. But that's why we partake of the body of Christ together. When his blood will be passed out, it is a time for you to personally, in spirit, pray and examine yourself about the five areas, about other things. One of the issues that I will always bring to you, and I'll speak about so you know, please look in the spiritual mirror. What do I mean by the spiritual mirror? Now, you know a mirror, and you look at yourself this morning when you come to church, and some of you, I can tell, look longer than others. Uh, but when you look in the spiritual mirror, it means that you see Christ, not yourself. So it, a, a time for examination is to say, hey, which piece of me is me and which is Christ and which needs to be dealt with because of sin or lack of surrender or other implications. And this is a part of your examination as well. Also something that it's not understood well within the Baptist realm is that when we pass out the cup, oh, you may take one yourself as well. Because of the covenant of God with us, when you partake of the cup, you say that to the Lord. You are my sustenance. You are my life. I declare that I am waiting to drink it anew with you in heaven. This is the same as when Abraham lifted an altar. This is the same as they went to the Holy of Holies. This is the same today because by the blood of our Lord Jesus, his broken body, you can enter into the Holy of Holies in heaven to partake of that one reality 